freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about... Just Mike. Gotta, Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Go Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports app, Seattle Sports. Well, I guess that's it. That's really all it is. Plus the podcast platforms. <laughs> we don't have any other ways to reach us, do we? We got us. You got the radio. You know, HD2. That's the one I always forget to mention. Yeah, I mean, you can always also follow, you know, the YouTube. YouTubes and Instagrams and those kinds of things to get your clips delivered in different ways. Can you listen to the whole show on YouTube? No, I, I'll, we'll do whole interviews and stuff. Just like interviews. So yeah, you view like a whole big show, chunk, but you can't just listen live on on YouTube. Correct. Okay. Correct. I think it also could be because we play too much music. Ah, <laughs> and YouTube's yes. like, yeah. So we've just been. You can't do that. <laughs> well, I, I think Maura had a solution to that problem at some point. She got voted down heartily, <laughs> but uh, I did think she had a solution to the whole too much music for YouTube problem. Uh, Get rid of ranked? I mean, that was one, or just stop playing so much music, I think. <laughs> Uh, 97.3 HD2 is the other way. If you have HD radio in your car, there is no clearer way to listen to this show if you live locally in Seattle. 97.3 HD2, or the whole station, really, not just this show, but the whole station. So, um, Maura, while you uh, may be frustrated by the uh, occasional deviation into too much music. By the way, I was out with a buddy of mine. I know you think that Justin and I know too much about music and spend too much time thinking about it. I was out with my buddy Chris this weekend. He knows way too much about music. Oh, yeah. He's the guy who goes like 200 shows a year. At least. Wow. That's insane. Like he was telling, I was talking to his wife and she's like, yeah, before he went to South by Southwest, he like, they like took a road trip together and he made a playlist of a few songs from every single band that was playing so that he could hear every one of the bands and create a list of which show, which like part, which concerts he, he got to go mad. to while he was there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It's amazing. I mean, like, he's got, like, a, a legitimate library of virtually every band imaginable, and he knows who they are, what they've done, and whether they're good live. But So I know you think that I spend too much time on it as just Justin, but hey, trust me. like, I play fantasy football. We all have our own things we nerd out on, yeah. but people complain when people talk fantasy football, too. So <laughs> I complain when you guys nerd out on music and ranked, because it's, it's not my personal. That's not just not, your, just not your thing. All right, well, uh, I will, uh, instead of... Uh, arguing with you today i'm going to put you in the driver's seat for a moment or two because i thought yesterday i spent a while thinking about yesterday in the last few days uh i actually wrote like a 1300 word column last night that i don't think i'm going to publish i'm not sure i want to but i it was somewhat cathartic to write so about. now it's just a diary entry at this point yeah isn't that the worst <laughs> And I and then I was going to send it to Brent, who's our editor here, and see if like what he thought about it. And I was like, well, Brent's definitely going to want me to publish it because all he wants is content for the website. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to send it to Brent. And I don't know. I just I thought I ended up deciding that I I don't think it was. Uh, I'll give you the crux of it coming up here in a bit. But I don't. I think it's just going to end up working better as a segment than as a column. But okay. I, I more I was thinking about you yesterday uh, because ultimately you know, we had my car was broken. I did feel bad about that. No. <laughs> I did. Well, honestly, yes, that. Um, no, I was thinking about your the point you raised early in the show, right? And so yesterday we spent a lot of the day kind of talking through, you know, 
where the Mariners were right, where they were wrong, specifically where I was wrong and, and sort of, you know, owning up to the fact that at this point we're no longer early. You're more than two months in. The Mariners have pretty well pissed away the division opportunity. It's not totally toast, but it's pretty darn close. I think the Rangers won yesterday, right? So there are full 10 games back. Generally, double digits is like that number you circle of like, if you get there, you're very unlikely to come storming back from that. Um, is the wild card alive? Yeah, there are a lot of teams in front of you, but you're alive and 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 certainly you have the opportunity to, uh, you know, if you do go on some form of a run, if you can start playing the kind of baseball you're capable of, season's not over in June, certainly not June 6th, but you've put yourself really on the verge of disaster. Anyway, we were talking through that, and it, it ended up leading to this conversation about fans and and sort of why people are angry, why there's a certain group of people that are angry at me, and, you know, your suggestion that maybe I'm missing the mark on why that is. Why do you think that is? Because you feel that there are people that are enjoying the fact that they're right about this, that they're getting some kind of satisfaction out of the Mariners not doing well right now. And you don't think that's true? No, I I think that it's when you feel like you've been let down repeatedly. I mean, this is in relationships. This is in fandom, whatever in life. I think you, you kind of hope for the best, but expect the worst. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, you're like, well, there you go. And I don't know that I don't see that as satisfaction. I see it as just kind of like a resignation. Yeah. That's a good word for it. Yeah. I think there's a, there is something to that. And maybe resignation is a word uh, that makes some sense. And I, I spent a while thinking about that last night and whether or not it's true. Are there people that are happier to be right than than winning? I don't know. Maybe I'm not going to. You're probably right. I shouldn't I shouldn't try to reach into people's heads and put that on them. Maybe that's not the case. And I'll own that. I, I think maybe what it is, and I'm speculating here, not necessarily saying this is the case, and it's probably similar to what you're saying, is is that it's maybe more of a defense mechanism than anything else, right? And an and understandable yes. defense mechanism given the the problems that this organization has had. has never been to a World Series in all of its history, and certainly for the last 20 years, they they've you know didn't make the playoffs until last year. I, I, I guess... I'm assuming then that people build this defense mechanism in so that they put themselves in a situation where one of two things happen. Either the team wins and they're happy or the team loses and they get to be right. Even if that's not necessarily their goal, Mm -hmm. right? It's a hedge. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that another fair way to say Mm -hmm. it? That essentially you're hedging your bet by saying, all right, I want this to be true. But if not, at least I yeah. get this hedge that's sort of built like into it. like our caller Becky told you yesterday, or like I didn't fall for it. Mm-hmm. Like she said she was disappointed that you fell for the trap. Yeah. I guess I'm not built that way. Like I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not built that way. I don't hedge. I just don't. I, I'm not good at it. It's not the way I build my life. It's not the way I live my life. It's more all in or all out. Yeah, I go all in. And... If if a crime was believing that a Mariner team that went to the playoffs last year was going to be even better this year after making some offseason moves, I, I guess I'll own it. Like, I, yeah, I fell for it. Okay. I, I, I absolutely will own it. I fell for what the Mariners did this offseason. As of today, what do I think? You may not like this answer, 
I think they had a good plan. I think they executed it poorly. And I think the results have been disastrous so far. That's my feeling on the Mariners. Okay. I think they had a good plan. And I'll go through it a little bit later today. I don't think money was the problem. I still don't. I'm sorry. I'm not going to I'm not going to come around on that whether you want me to or not, not you more, but some folks out there. I, I they spent 32 million dollars on the combination of Teoscar Hernandez and Colton Wong and AJ Pollock. 32 million dollars on those three guys for this year. If they had spent that same 32 million on Cody Bellinger, J.D. Martinez, and bringing back Adam Frazier, I don't think anybody would have thought that the Mariners had a better offseason and they would be, I don't know, five games better right now if those guys were here and having the kind of seasons that they're having. People would have been mad that Frazier was back. He didn't have a good year last year. Cody Bellinger was coming off of two awful years as opposed to Teoscar Hernandez, who was coming off of a couple of excellent ones. And, you know, J.D. Martinez certainly would have been exciting and more so than Colton Wong. But, I mean, some of that would have been a a balance, right? That would have cost them, based on what those guys got, and I'm not saying they would have signed here because they may very well not have, that would have cost them $30 million. So they spent more. They spent more on A.J. Pollock and Colton Wong and Teoscar Hernandez than they would have on those three guys if they had signed them. So... Was that plan or was that execution on the plan? I don't think the plan was necessarily problematic. I think the guys that they got have been universally terrible. Every one of them. And ultimately, in my world, some of that's on the players, but it's also on Jerry and it's on Justin Hollander because they're the ones who were picking the groceries. Well, I think it's kind of what makes you wonder is this is like the second year in a row where it hasn't really worked. I mean, Suarez turned out to be great, but he was kind of a throw in in that deal. He was. Weaker yes. was the one you really wanted. And this is the second year in a row. You've got a couple of guys that we hear they have this history. They have this history and it, they're not doing it here. Yeah, that that part of and Brock brought this up a couple of weeks ago. That part of the Mariners uh, front office baseball ops job has not gone well. Right. It's been balanced by how well they've drafted, how well they've developed. Those things have been great. But the third part of it, the trade part. We've seen it go well with pitchers. We've seen it go very well. Yes. But the the batters, other than Ty France and, you know, you could probably throw in a couple of other guys, they've really struggled to acquire. So do I think that there's a pattern there? Yeah, there's certainly a pattern forming. Does it make sense to me that DePoto and his group are good at one thing and not another? Maybe. Like, that's certainly a possibility. It would surprise me. I don't think Jerry and his group just have, like, a a knack for pitching and they can't figure out hitting. Like, that's when I start looking at outside factors. And you may call it an excuse, but the ballpark's a factor. The Mariners have, let's call it, three challenges that they need to get over. Not excuses, but challenges that are unique to them. Geography, right, in terms of how much they travel and what their schedule looks like and all that. Uh, Weather, meteorological. The weather here kind of stinks. And then I guess I would say reputational. They're not exactly known as the Yankees around baseball. And so it's up to Jerry DePoto to find a strategy to deal with those, not to make excuses for them, but to recognize the reality of them and say, all right, how do I solve this problem? The same way we might look at our station and say, man, we're on AM radio. That could be a disadvantage. What do we do to try to solve that problem. It's not an excuse. We don't look at the ratings at the end of the month and be like, eh, 
We're on AM. What are you going to do? Right. You come up with a business strategy and a business plan to try to get around it, and then you try to execute on that. I think Jerry has come up with a plan that, in theory, makes some sense to try to deal with a difficulty, to deal with a challenge. It hasn't worked. I don't know if that's because the challenge is too great or because of the strategy or just because of the execution on it. Like they, There were other guys they could have gotten for the same money and with the same philosophy that right now would make their team better. It would. And I, again, the results are ultimately where you point at because you've got what? Other than, let's say, three players. Three position players on the team. Jared Kelnick overperforming. Fair? J.P. Crawford performing. Kind of what you would hope J.P. Crawford to be. Jose Caballero overperforming a base level of zero, right? right. I mean, there's zero expectation. So take those three guys out of it. Is it fair to say that literally every single other offensive player on this team has underperformed this year? I would say yes. Literally everyone, to various degrees, some obviously a whole lot worse than others, right? Ty France has not underperformed as much as Teoscar Hernandez or Suarez, but literally I think I would say every other one of them has underperformed. To me, some of that's on the GM who chose the players. Some of it's probably on the coaching staff for trying to bring the best out of them and not getting there. And I think there's more to talk about there over the course of the next few days. And yeah, I guess some of it is on the players for not living up to their billing. So it's up to us to try to figure out why. And it's certainly up to them to try to do that as well. And I've gone way too long talking about this. So I got to take a quick break. I'll come back. I'll give you everything you need to know. And we'll keep discussing this throughout the morning, six o'clock hour. Once Brock gets here as well, but more a good point. I think that's really what I wanted to say more than anything else. Good point. Made me think about it a lot yesterday and, and talk to some other folks as well. And I think I understand where you're coming from. And I think that maybe I didn't word it certainly the way I should have yesterday. So thank Thanks for bringing it up. Thanks to everybody else for uh, their thoughts as well. We'll be right back. I'm Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, an off day to catch their breath after the disaster in Texas. The Mariners in San Diego back at it tonight. 640 start. What do you think they discussed yesterday? I know there were meetings in and around the organization. What do they think? What are they going to do about it? How are the players going to react? The reality is that with one or two exceptions, every bat on this roster has underperformed so far. It's a lot of guys who need to look themselves in the mirror, figure out how to get themselves going. In Shannon Dreyer's view, they're not following the philosophy. The biggest thing in, in what you hear is that they are not following the philosophy of dominate the zone. And that doesn't mean sit back and try and take walks. That means don't miss the pitches you can handle and do damage with. They're missing the pitches that they can handle and do damage with, and then they're getting into a cycle, many of them, of swinging at pitches they have no doubt, no no business swinging at whatsoever. And once you get into that cycle, obviously, there's very uh, little success to be had. So a lot of guys hold the future of this season and maybe in some ways this franchise in their hands. I do believe they have enough talent and potential, but something sure seems to be keeping them from realizing it right now. Same's true for the drastically underperforming Padres, who also have a lot of talent in their club. So we'll see the two teams tonight, Logan Gilbert against Joe Musgrove. Will we see Andres Munoz and Dylan Moore? Sounds like Munoz should be activated today. As for Dylan Moore, I guess we're just going to have to wait and find out. Here's the second thing you need to know. 
Seahawks with a couple of small roster moves ahead of uh, mandatory mini camp today. They cut wide receiver C.J. Johnson, nose tackle Forrest Merrill. Fill one of those spots with a defensive tackle named Jacob Sykes, who'd been here before. The other spot left open. Now, back of the roster moves, pretty constant this time of year as they're looking to add depth in spots where they might be weaker, have injury concerns or whatever. But we will see the full squad of practice today, really for the first time, as this is the mandatory, first mandatory event of the offseason. It's funny, last year we were so focused on the quarterback position and the battle at camp, etc., and surprised to see how many more of the reps Geno Smith took. You look at it today, and uh, it doesn't even seem to be a concern. Yeah, yeah. He, he has been a, a really positive Positive influence on the other guys. He's been he's so determined, and he, I mean, he's he's got he's got his eye on uh, on the ball the whole way now, and, and uh, he's been so consistent and available, and, and the messaging is so solid. It's like you know, you, you, everybody needs to come along with him. He's going, you know, and, and uh, it's just been such a remarkable thing to watch. You know, the way he's taken over the, the opportunity, and how he commanded so well last year, and and he has handled the the success and he's handled the pro bowl and the off season and, and all the hype and all of that he and, and how he's answered it is with great work well and we got to find out a little bit more about what that work is albert Breer actually led monday morning quarterback yesterday with a story on geno smith and albert will join us coming up at 7 30 this morning Here's the third thing you need to know hey, are the A's about to be toast in vegas before they've even gotten started there I don't know exactly. Like, I'm not an expert on reading this stuff, but a second straight deal may now be falling apart as the Nevada Senate didn't move that bill forward. There's going to be a special legislative session, but it appears to be concerned with other issues and not the ballpark issues. So at least for now, they don't appear to be moving forward with the public funding for the site that the A's want. Probably not a surprise. I don't know how much anybody in Vegas truly even wants the A's. Why would anybody want to bring in a new team with an owner that seems to have absolutely no concern? concern with trying to win his chosen sport so i don't know what happens next for that team i've always thought vancouver would be a spot for them but things seem to be a little messy now all of a sudden in vegas year six speaking of vegas might be the one for their hockey team they are dominating the stanley cup finals seven two they win last night they've now blown out the florida panthers two straight games all even at one in the nba as they head back to miami i think tonight that is everything you need to know we do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. We spent too much time talking about hedging earlier, so we're kind of out of time on this. I know, yeah. We're, <laughs> you don't want to you spend more time talking about the uh, about hedging? No. Yeah. I mean, I guess hedge funds are the most uh, the the most successful funds, right? If you want to, that's what I learned in billions. If you want to make money, just go into the hedge fund business. Mm-hmm. It's like guaranteed cash, it's like a stress free way to do it. It does seem, yeah, yeah. and totally legal. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people make it legal, but like certainly not acts on 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 billions. Mm. He's, he's definitely pushing the envelope a little bit. Maybe I'll try that next. All right. Well, we still, we, we still do have a lot more baseball to talk. Hedging or not. I'm uh, going to hear from Shannon. And then Jason Churchill was on yesterday uh, with Bump and Stacy, And, you know, you're starting to, you know, feel even folks like me, like Shannon, like Jason, like Ryan Divish is going to be with us later today. The folks who said it was early aren't saying it anymore because it's not early anymore. It's June. It's not May. It's not April. And certainly there's a lot of cause for concern with this Mariner team. Try to get inside this clubhouse next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.
All right, Brock will be in at 7 o'clock. Today, we feel reasonably sure that that's actually going to be the case. And then uh, actually a ton of guests on the show, or at least a few. Uh, Albert Breer is going to join us for Monday Morning Quarterback. Coming up at 7.30, uh, I guess I mentioned earlier, he led his uh, column yesterday on Geno Smith. It's a really good story, uh, you know, writing about Geno and how hard he worked. I think you guys are going to like some of the stuff that's in there. I know more specifically kind of was was you know pointing out the fact that Dude went and traveled to all of the receivers' homes and worked out with them. He didn't invite everybody to his place, probably because he doesn't have, like, a ranch like Russ did down in San Diego. He hasn't made that kind of money yet. But, you know, he went and actually visited all of them, and he went to, I guess, three of them all live in Texas. So that made it a whole lot easier and and kind of said after, it's like, hey, it's kind of fun to travel. Like, what do I care? I'm happy to go down and see all those guys. But more, I think your your observation is very astute. It's not so much that he did that, because I, I think that happens. It's that he didn't announce it. When he did his first press conference, that wasn't brought up, whereas I feel like Russ would have been like, well, you know, I had all the guys done. So I mean, we and I did all that work with them. Did you it. see the videos? Right. I mean, right. <laughs> no. I mean, the whole video production crew. Yeah, we would have seen it all over social media. We would have heard him talk about it in his first press conference. So sad, man. I know we're going to talk about Mariners here. That's sort of the point of this, but I, I now I'm sort of distracted. The rust thing is so sad. Thank it you. really That's, is. I feel like I've been a year early on how sad this whole thing is. Yeah, I mean, I, in, in that way, it's sad. By the way, the Mariners thing is sad, too. So apparently sad is going to be the theme of the next 20 minutes of this show. Oh, no. Maybe it's because my wife took me to see the National on Sunday, who are known as sad dads of rock. Yeah. And so, like, <laughs> maybe it's just on the brain. I'm generally not a, a it's not an emotion I feel very often. Sadness. I don't. <laughs> I, nice. I, I, I just, it's not something that, like, generally when I feel sad, I get mad. So I am. Oh, well, like it's just not an emotion that comes to me or stays for very long. I can be happy. I can be mad. I can be various things in between. I'm almost never sad, and it's a it's a it's a an emotion I I'm, I'm pretty unfamiliar with, and I'm not sure I even fully understand. And I feel bad about that because I know it's something that's very um, personal to a lot of people. And I try to be respectful about it, but I I truly in my heart can't understand it very well it's just not something i but, feel but sports gets you there no generally not i mean i can say it and i can you know what i can say that the russell situation is sad but i'm not sure i feel sadness about it if that makes sense right you acknowledge, you acknowledge that the society handbook says this is sad yes but you don't like a robot like, like so you're so a sociopath yeah. no. like, when it comes, i know how to fake the motion yes when it comes to sadness yes I feel a lot of other emotions, <laughs> but I, with sadness, yeah, I think I'm sort of a little sociopath-like. <laughs> I don't know whether a sociopath would say that no. necessarily. Well, maybe. Shoot, that's a good point. Huh. <laughs> you sociopaths aren't aware that they're sociopaths. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting we're, this we're to turn into a therapy session. But anyway, the Russ thing is sad, uh, and then generally that feeling makes me mad that he ended up like behaving the way he did, but... God, why was he like that? Before our very eyes, he was like turning into Ben Roethlisberger and Aaron Rodgers. Like, gosh, what a what a sad state of affairs that that ended up happening. What a sad state of affairs. And yeah. do you feel a little? And I know you've talked about this off the air with other people. Do you feel mad at yourself for not acknowledge or seeing it or seeing any of the flags or accepting it when you heard it from other people? Uh, 
Um, is there some ownership on your? Yeah, own I mean, I said that? that to Doug Baldwin, right? We kind of had that conversation last week about how Doug sniffed it out early, and I was a little bit more of a sucker on that. You on feel the other like hand, bamboozled. a little bit. I feel like I was bamboozled a little. On the other hand. You know, I guess I'll take some solace in the fact that I didn't want to let Russ cook, which would have been a disaster. Sure. <laughs> right. So, I mean, like all things in this business, and maybe this is a way of coming back around to the Mariners, we're right sometimes, we're wrong sometimes. And hopefully, you know, people aren't out there keeping score because that's not really how I view my job. Not that I don't want to be right, but, you know, we're here to talk about the issues. And I am certainly opinionated on them. And Russell was a great quarterback for a long time. I'll stand by that. There were signs that we all probably should have recognized that there was something bubbling under the hood that was eventually going to spill out. And I think we talked about some of that, certainly during the negotiations with the Seahawks and talking through Mark Rogers. But I think at the time, I was a lot more willing to say, "Ah, it's Aaron. It's uh, it's Mark Rogers. Maybe it was Aaron Rodgers, too. No, it's Mark Rogers. It's his agent. Russ is a good guy with good principles and his agent keeps dragging him to the. And, you know, as you look at it now with a little bit more understanding and a little bit more information, having gotten to watch what happened in Denver, I think it's fair to say that there was more than that, that there was something under the hood that was problematic for many of his teammates and challenging for his coaching staff and ultimately challenging for management in the form of John Schneider, not just in his negotiations with Russ and his agent, but in how he was building a team around a guy that 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 ultimately, in my view, his biggest problem is he doesn't understand himself very well. He doesn't understand his strengths. He doesn't understand his weaknesses. And thankfully, I think Pete Carroll did. And that's ultimately, as, as we started to, at least as I started to realize that late in Russ's time here, why if we were quote unquote choosing sides, I chose Pete because I think Pete was the guy who was able to get the best out of Russ to minimize his problematic tendencies, not erase them, but minimize them and try to focus on the things that Russ did best. By the way, I think Pete's done an incredible job of that with Geno Smith as well. Pete's not a perfect coach. There are things that I disagree with him on, but the reason I wasn't all in on letting Russ cook or firing Pete or anything like that is because I think Pete's strengths were more important than the weaknesses that some people were focusing on. And I think what he did for Russ is amazing. Sean Payton may be able to do the same thing. He's also an elite coach. Uh, What's the guy's name last year? Uh, Nathaniel Nathaniel Hackett. I want to say Nate McKinnon. Different, different Nathan Nathaniel from Denver. Um, he couldn't. Not an elite coach. Might not even be a head coach in the NFL, but certainly not an elite one at this stage in his career. And he was he cowing to Russell Wilson. To whatever teams want to get Aaron Rodgers. Right. I mean, what a, what a weird position. And the second time is the charm. Player B worked out as the Jets. So, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I look at the Russ thing and say it is sad that all of those signs were there. And I think we were willing to ignore a lot of them because the production was good and they were a good team. And, you know, you had a franchise quarterback where you can do get rid of it. And ultimately they thought about it. Ultimately, John thought about it. I mean, that's one of the things that ended up leading to the eventual divorce. John thought about it, thought about Patrick Mahomes, thought about Josh Allen, thought about trading him to Cleveland for first round picks. Didn't do it. Maybe should have. Maybe we would have had this conversation earlier, or maybe it would have been harder. Maybe it wouldn't have worked out quite so well, and maybe and, and maybe Russ would have found a different situation and succeeded earlier in his career when he was quicker and able to move around better, et cetera. 
But I, I don't feel like, I mean, we talked about this last year. I don't feel like Pete wasted any of Russ's career. That was one of the things, the number one thing I thought we were going to find out based on how things went last year, specifically for Russ. And I was, I, I promise you, and I hope that Justin Amora can vouch for this. I said this last year, if Russ had had success winging the ball all over the building in, in Denver last year, I promise you, I would have come in here and said Pete wasted some of Russ's prime. I remember it well. I promise you I would have. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. If that had happened, I would have come in and said, oh, my God, Pete Carroll wasted Russell Wilson's prime. And instead, we saw exactly the opposite come through. Russell was awful. He is not a let-the-guy-cook kind of quarterback. That's not what his skills are. No. And then on the opposite side, we saw what he could do with Geno that makes it look like, oh, he can do this with – he can bring along quarterbacks pretty well. And, oh, by the way, he doesn't mind throwing the ball. They threw for 4,000 yards. It's not what Russell Wilson does best. That's what I learned last year. This year, we'll probably throw the whole thing. Russell probably throw for 7,000 yards this year and win the Super Bowl. But <laughs> now that's we what, said it. But that's what I learned last year. And certainly that's what I took out of the information gleaned from watching Russ in Denver and watching Pete with Geno here. So kudos to Geno Smith uh, and Burt Breer, who wrote about him. We'll talk to Albert coming up here at, uh, at 7.30 this morning. Well, Brock said almost that. the same thing yesterday about the Mariners. This Rangers series taught us what, what you needed to know. Yeah, and, and I do think that it went from early to late on the Mariners here. Not over. But it certainly went from early to not early. And April was early. I wasn't going to kill them in April. I'm sorry. I just formally don't believe in that. I just don't. And even now, you know, as much as I want to kind of go all in and be like this, that, fire this guy, like I can't do it because I also remember that it was the last three years, certainly the last two, and I think the last three, immediately after their darkest, most depressing series they won on big runs that ended up taking them to where they are. Baseball's weird. Baseball really is. It is a weird, funky game. And last year, I think they got swept. They get swept by Detroit right before they ended up going on a run. I know they lost at least two out of three. And I think they got swept by Detroit and then got good. Uh, two years ago, remember, they got destroyed in San Diego, which is where they are now. They got outscored, kind of similar to what just happened in the Rangers series. They got outscored by like 30 runs in a few games. And then they got hot and went on their run and ended up winning 90 games. So I'm not saying that's going to happen this year. The odds right now certainly make it seem as if it's not. But it's not impossible. And that's the one thing that's going to keep me from saying it's too late because it's not. But it sure as heck isn't early. It sure as heck isn't too early. They've had two months, a third of the season, to figure out where this team is at, and it's not good. They're pitching well, and now that's starting to be called into question based on some of the stress they put on those guys and some of the injuries that are starting to catch up with them. And they can't hit. They can't hit at all. They're not performing. I said this earlier. I I, I stand by the plan. I think the execution and who they got has been terrible, and the results have been even worse. Jason Churchill on yesterday with uh, Bump and Stacy said kind of the same thing in comparing them to the first-place Rangers. I think the gap in the rosters is minimal at best. What, what's happening right now is Texas has things going in all directions. Things are just rolling. Things are working. Kind of like Seattle in the middle of last year when they turned it on in June, they were just a pretty consistent, solid team pretty much night in and night out. It looked a little different. Seattle got it done more with pitching. Texas scores a bunch of runs. 
and then you get Seattle coming into Texas with nothing really clicking, and then in games two and games three of the series, they don't even get their foundational production, which is the starting rotation does its job. At games two and game three, that didn't happen. That's going to spin things out of control if you're the Mariners at this point. So I agree with Jason on that. I, I, I do think that the – and this is why I've been a little slow to warm on the Rangers, and obviously they're playing great baseball right now. I don't see them as being significantly or maybe even at all more talented than the Mariners are. They're playing a lot better. There's no doubt about it. They also have a lot of older guys on that team, 32-plus. I think they have, like, I saw this somewhere. They have, they're getting, like, the most war share, win share from guys 32-plus of anybody in baseball. Hmm. That's the stat that jumped out to you? Yeah, because there's a pretty strong correlation between players over 32 and injury. Sure. So, I I mean, they took a lot of chances going with veterans and Bruce Bochy, their manager, was a very good manager, and I think that's helped them, is a guy who generally wants veterans more than young players. And, you know, I I still have questions about their bullpen and even their rotation, which looks better, kind of, you know, would worry me if I was in Texas. I'm not going to spend. They did tell us they have a lot of guys waiting in the wings in the minors. They do. They've got some dudes. They've they've built up their uh, they've built up their their coffers. So they're not like this is their only option. But I, I I'm still not like sold. They're going to be a great team. But the way they are right now. They are. They're rolling. Well, it's the and the Mariners are not the biggest stat that I saw from. I think it was Game Three. They kept showing it was their numbers with running since runners in scoring position. Whereas, like, they are not leaving guys stranded. No, and they that's scoring. That's runs. probably not sustainable. That's what I thought too. It's like they're hitting like nah, I remember it, what it was. I, if it I was remember, absurd. I saw that too. That was on Friday night. They showed it. If I'm not mistaken, it's the highest with runners in scoring position of any team since the 1930 Yankees. It, it's insane because they right. used it as a Probably way of, of, of rolling into Lou Gehrig and the ALS weekend, et cetera. That's probably not sustainable guys over the age of 32, probably not. So I think they'll come back to earth, but that's not the point. The Mariners may have dug themselves such a hole by the time matter, the Rangers yeah. do come back to earth that it's going to be too late. Cause you're 10 games back. And that's because they've underperformed. That's because as of right now, it sure looks like Jerry went out and got some of the wrong guys. Again, I'm not saying the plan was wrong. I'm not saying they needed to spend more. Not saying they couldn't have spent more. That would have been fine with me, too. But I don't think that was the key. I don't think that was the thing holding them back. I think that they'd have gotten, if they had gotten different players with the same money, they would be in a much better spot right now. And specifically, when you look at it, the two guys that I think have struggled the most, the crux of this whole thing, Jason Churchill agrees 100% and mentioned them both yesterday, Teo and Suarez. But those two guys are the key to the rest of the Mariners' season. It's not Julio. It's not Jared Kelnick. It's not the pitching staff. It's not a trade. You cannot fix this team with trades this season. Eugenio Suarez and Teoscar Hernandez have to do better. They have to be better. They have to be much closer to what they were a year ago from here on out for this offense to turn around and for the Mariners season to be meaningful. Those two guys are the key to it all. I totally agree with that. And throw Julio in there as well. We've started to see when Julio hits, this team is a whole lot better and they start winning. I would add Julio to that list. And he is showing signs of it, which I guess is why you don't put him in quite the same category. But if this season's going to be successful, those are the three guys are going to have to hit. Julio, better. But Teo and Suarez have been a disaster so far this year. Not bad guys. I'm not taking shots at them personally. And I certainly don't think it's any lack of work. 
Brock's going to come on here, I guarantee you, in 15 minutes and talk about about incentivization. Maybe we should guarantee that Brock will <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. We've yeah. <laughs> had some problems. That's a good no. point. <laughs> I don't want to speak for the technological issues. I'm certainly not guaranteeing that any of them work. Good point, more. But I think if I know Brock, and I've had many conversations with him about this over the years, Brock believes heavily in incentivization, right? And it's his football background. Work harder and you'll do better. The problem you run into in baseball is that I don't think it helps. I don't think it helps. Being in a contract year, I don't think it helps. Baseball's more like golf than it is like football, right? It's a finely... Like it, like the, it's a it's a finely um, synced process yeah, yeah. of getting you every single your way through it. Right, yeah. you can't try your way out of right. a hole. You have to get everything right. That's not to say hard work isn't important. It is in both sports. Repeating the same motion over and over again, good work ethic, all those things are very important. We used to have a coach that say it was like dialing in a safe. Like you have to make all these individual movements first. Yeah, that's a really great and way then of the saying. The door opens. It. I think that's very, very uh, prescient. Yeah, like you're not. You can't hit your forehead on this door over and over and expect it to open. Golf's the same way. You're not going to just go to a range for six hours and get yourself better at golf, right? Saying, "Well, it's do or die. I guess I better win, or else I'm going to go home." Doesn't make you better at golf or at baseball. I don't know whether comfort does either. I don't know what the heck makes you better at these sports, focus, quite frankly. Probably. Focus, yeah. concentration, right? And just being in the right zone. Confidence, maybe. Right? Yeah, I mean, true. maybe all of those things help a whole lot more. And for whatever reason, this team, and specifically those couple of players, don't seem to have confidence right now, and they're not playing like it. That comes back to what I played from Shannon earlier. Here, let me play this again to you from Shannon about why they're not dominating the zone the way they're supposed to. The biggest thing in, in what you hear is that they are not following the philosophy of uh, dominate the zone. And that doesn't mean sit back and try and take walks. That means don't miss the pitches you can handle and do damage with. They're missing the pitches that they can handle and do damage with, and then they're getting into a cycle, many of them, of swinging at pitches they have no doubt, no no business swinging at whatsoever. So that, to me, sounds like a confidence thing, right? I'm missing the right pitch, and then I'm so jumpy and lacking in confidence that I'm starting to swing at everything, and then I'm swinging at the wrong pitches. And then her other good word, I think, there is good as cycle. You get in a vicious cycle. That seems to be where the Mariners are at right now. I don't know how to get out of it. I don't. I, the problem with a vicious cycle like that is it affects everything. It affects their relationships with each other. It affects their relationships with their manager and their coaching staff. It, it, it can lead to the breaking of so many of the tight bonds that were formed over the last couple of years. And that's something, look, I'm going to talk to Ryan Divish about it today. We're going to have him on at 830. I'm curious about what, what's going on inside that clubhouse. I don't love some of the things I'm hearing behind the scenes about how that clubhouse is is working right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly, and I'm not coming all in on anybody or saying what it means yet because I don't know enough. And I'm not getting this from people even in the Mariner organization. I don't love what I'm hearing about what's going on inside the clubhouse. So why? Do I think Scott's lost the team? It'd be hard for me to imagine given how recently we were sitting here saying he should have been manager of the year and everything else. And I don't know what he would have done during that time. It's not like he's made it about himself. So I don't, I, that would surprise me. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it would surprise me, but something funky does seem to be going on inside that, that clubhouse. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And it's probably what Shannon just said. 
lack of results leading to lack of confidence, leading to a downward death spiral that is very, very hard to pull out of. And when you're not feeling good, when you're not playing good, you start not acting good, not wanting to be around people. I had a lousy day yesterday. I forgot to eat dinner and was up until 1230. That's me with one crappy day. What happens when you go 0 for 4, eight nights in a row, and you're 10 games out in the, in the, in the division? You know what it sounds like you need? Some veteran leadership. I need a little veteran leadership <laughs> in my life. You know what? I wouldn't mind a pop tart now and again. But, but to your point, like when you start losing belief in, in uh, yourself or your teammates or whatever, maybe is that where your drive and, and draw for a veteran comes from? Where it's yeah, but a bit I, more it, here's of a, my concern, Justin, is that it, it, at some point. You're going to be too late. I get that. But I ask you a question. It's like, how do you what what you're feeling that they need veteran leadership? And you're like, I don't quite know. Is it is it something like that where Maybe. young guys kind of start to feel like they're a ship in a night and they're not on the same page anymore and they're not on the same wavelength? Yeah, they need somebody they to need kind someone of to kind of pull them back. pat them on the back and be like, hey, man, this is baseball. Yeah. And it, hey, it's it's June 5th or it's June 6th. But Jerry kind of told us uh, a while ago when he was on with us that, you know, when he's talking about guys kind of reaching. Um, he said that, you know, even guys that have been leaders for them in the past sometimes step out of that role when they're not playing well. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't, you need, you would need someone to come in and start playing yeah. well immediately or they're True. not going to feel comfortable being a leader in the, in the club. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough mm-hmm. situation. Uh, <laughs> it's a mess. It's if, we, if we had the answers, we wouldn't <laughs> More be. than anything, it's making me very sad. I got to say, like this conversation is just making me sad. Uh, I don't know how they get out of this, guys. I don't know what they do. Uh, honestly, the answer probably is look yourself in the mirror and just start hitting. Like, just get some of that bravado back. Get some of that confidence back. Just get some of that belief that you're the best in the world and and take the day off yesterday. You're in San Diego. You've had some success there before. They might be in an even worse spot than you are. And just go out there and take it out on them. Get some confidence back and go on a run. They're perfectly capable of it. Go back to what Jason said, Jason Churchill. I agree with him. And I don't think I'm alone. I don't think the Rangers are more talented than the Mariners. I really don't. But they're obviously playing significantly better baseball. And their guys are living up to their baseball card or exceeding it, while the Mariners are not. And at some point, for the Mariners, that would simply have to change. Brock's in next. We'll keep this going. I guarantee you, he brings up incentivization. It's coming up. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710.